0: Welcome to Teaching Brute. Today's episode, we're talking about inquiry-based learning.
1: Hey, don't worry, we're not going buzzwords on this one. Actually, we kind of are.
0: You know, last episode I was talking about how I wanted to switch things up in my classroom a little bit, and I started thinking about inquiry, and I started talking to people, and it seems like it's going to be a lot of work to do.
1: Well, that's true. Um, I mean, let's we can dive into that in a little bit. First off, let's establish exactly what inquiry is. Um, and then we'll kind of go forward from there. Um, Inquiry learning is basically an approach of learning where the teacher backs off from being uh, the talking head in front of the classroom, and ends up being more of a facilitator, um, directing learning through questioning and through kind of organized tasks. Um, There are various levels of inquiry which we'll get into shortly, um, but that's kind of what inquiry is in a nutshell.
0: So it's not a free-for-all.
1: Typically not. I mean, you can be a free for all. Don't get me wrong. Uh, in terms, but it, it, it's kind of a, a free for all with, with an end goal. Picture, okay. So picture it like a wide open soccer pitch. All right. You've still got to get the goal, the ball, and that. But there's you've different routes you. you can
0: take it. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. When I was researching, I actually found that there was four different kinds of inquiry out there. Yeah. Well, at least the ones that I found, there was only four.
1: I mean, there's, you can see that, and, and that can be done either in a linear way or more of an, a ma- in a matrix-style way. Uh, I, you know, who was your infographic from um, again?
0: I found it from Trevor McKenzie, and he actually just finished writing a book, and I am so going to be buying that one. It's just been released on Amazon. Cool.
1: Um, okay, so essentially, there and the one I look at typically is something called the Advocacy Inquiry Matrix, which is used heavily in PYP, and admittedly, I do come from a heavy PYP background. Um, so a lot of my pre-knowledge is from that world, but um, I, in my current school, I've had a lot of visits from a place called the Exploratorium out of San Francisco, and they do inquiry, and, and it's off a very similar model to what PYP one is, but nonetheless, it is not a PYP school. All right, so back to our back to the inquiry matrix. So essentially, what, when you look at inquiry, there's basically four. Different forms that kind of lie along a spectrum, so there's no absolutes in these four forms. Um, But there's structured inquiry, which is more similar to what you would consider to be a traditional style classroom teach, which is the teacher plans, directs, and guides the inquiry through questions. And there's, if you think of the soccer analogy again, picture the field being a lot narrower.
0: So that would be a good one to start with for anybody that wants to start doing inquiry-based stuff.
1: And the reality is, chances are you're doing it right now. Um, I, have a, I have a hard time believing that teachers that these, these days are doing some degree of structure inquiry. I have a hard time say, believing that most teachers these days are just telling the kids answers when they ask questions. The, guy, the, the idea behind structure inquiry is simply get the, t, get the, the teacher creates the environment but asks the right questions towards the kids to get them to the answers. And it's often a series of tasks instead of just a single one-off. It can be a one-off task, but typically it's going to be a series of tasks that lead to a bigger understanding. Okay. Um, so the second type is called a, a controlled inquiry. Um, and the teacher chooses... The types of types and identifies the resources that the students will be able to use so there's a bit more open-endedness and there's a bit more because they choose the types of different things they can use so they have options about what they can choose um, and they can still inquire through those kind of resources and through those different types of things that are available um, third type is called guided inquiry which is the teachers is very much taking a step back and being more of a facilitator teacher's going to choose the topics or questions, and the students will design their own tasks to achieve it.
0: That seems scary. Eh,
1: doable though. And the last one is called free inquiry. Uh, the students are choosing the topic. There's no reference to any prescribed outcome. Um, they're just kind of going with their own knowledge and having complete freedom.
0: So would that be kind of like the 20% time that we often hear about? Yep, yeah, that,
1: that is definitely a great reference to that. Um, uh, you kind of, I think 3M is the one who, kind of can lay claim to the orig- the originators of that one. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's that's true. Um, the free inquiry one, there's a few different ways of looking at it. It's often that students just have a broad, open-ended question, they've got to get there somehow. But then there's often just, hey, guys, you're interested in something, go at it. Um, the open-ended question and getting there however you want, that's often kind of blurring the lines into guided inquiry. So there's a bit of, like I said, it's a spectrum. It's not necessarily a, oh, you're doing guided. Oh, you're doing free. Oh, you're doing controlled. So, and don't ever think that one is less than the other. It's not a hierarchy of you're a better inquiry teacher because you're doing more of this. We've talked about the four forms of inquiry. Yeah. Now let's talk about, uh, I'll tell I made reference to the advocacy inquiry matrix. And if you actually type in the advocacy inquiry matrix written to Google, you'll see this thing. And so it tends to be a slightly different way of looking at inquiry. Um, and both I looked at in the major uh, kind of PYP and inquiry-based schools.
0: So I can see how this would easily apply to almost every single primary classroom and several middle school, high school classrooms. But Can you actually apply this to every subject? Like, could PE teachers do this?
1: There is. Yeah, there is ways. I mean... When you look at pure PYP schools, they encouraged inquiry as much as humanly possible. And the one thing I realized about PIP schools is that the degree to which they do inquiry varies. So if you're in a school like I was in before where there was no officially established curriculum for the first, first little bit I was there, the inquiry was pretty free. What you chose to do was pretty free. There was less guideposts, this sort of thing. Um, versus a lot of one of the major schools here in the city we're living in, um they have a structured curriculum that they've adopted from a, from a specific province of Canada and they work the inquiry process around that so it can be worked in any subject area and it can be worked with various structural points and not structural points inquiry is what you make of it and it's not an absolute it's an exp- it's like I said it's a spectrum thing um,
0: and there are pros and cons to it. So, so what are some of the cons then? Like Ooh, we've that heard, I, mean, I first. know. Well, she off with the good stuff. Y- um, yeah, we want to end on a positive note. That's true.
1: Okay, so um, heavy planning.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can see where that.
1: So typically, when you have a design task, you've got to plan for it pretty heavily, um, especially if you want to guide kids to a goalpost by giving them a lot of freedom. Your goalpost is often very broad. It's like have an understanding of light and shadows.
0: It's like herding cats.
1: can be, but if you design it in the right way, it's more like herding sheep. Sheep are easily herded.
0: Right, okay.
1: So when you design these tasks, you're often designing the right questions to ask. You're predicting where they will go, what materials they're going to use. Oftentimes, You'll have the materials laid out for them as the kind of things they can use, or you'll have stations set up to, as places they can inquire. So it ends up... There's a heavy amount of planning, yes. And if you've got an end goal in mind that's specific, then that often narrows your planning and narrows the resources. If it's broader, then you are often got to plan in that way. So that is a... It can be seen as Kong because there's a lot more time involved in that. And if you're an elementary teacher, that means you've got one-off lessons that require a lot of time. Now, or one-off in the sense of like, they could take multiple days uh, or even weeks if you plan it out right. But nonetheless, it is still one. If you're in a middle school specialist, then that one task may linger over to as much as six or eight different classes. So it may well worth be your time of planning. Um, that's one of the bigger things. The second one is to ensure that you have this, you can be spontaneous and flexible. If you love an absolutely rigidly structured classroom, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, and I I may have sounded that way, but not at all. Um,
0: There are benefits to that, too. There are massive benefits to it. A lot of
1: kids need a structured classroom. Then inquiry can be a frightening thing, and it may seem like all the kids aren't learning as much that way. But the pros on it are quite simple. I mean, the kids are self-directing their learning. And they're often doing a lot more experiential learning within inquiry too and that can be as simple as Getting online and exploring a museum online to physically getting out science materials or math manipulatives and exploring a concept to reach an end goal so the benefits of them achieving their own learning coming to their own Realizations because you've just asked them questions as opposed to giving them answers. I mean the 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 silliest thing to remember is occasionally like occasionally, when we were kids when was the last time you asked the teacher how to spell the word and they said I don't know go look it up in the dictionary that is in and of itself an inquiry it's a basic inquiry
0: I hated it when my teachers did that because I, w- I felt like then I need to know how to spell it so I can figure out where it is in the dictionary
1: but here's the hitch when you found it you'd remember it more easily because it wasn't just a teacher going <laughs>
0: well this like, is true
1: like the peanuts analogy, like the peanuts in, uh, adults.
0: And there's all, I mean, I have forgotten more lessons than I have remembered, that's for sure.
1: Um, I do want to make references to uh, one person in particular, Kath Murdoch, who is often mm. considered the grandmother, or mm, I don't want to say she's old by saying that, I'm just saying, like, she's one of the ones who was really in that massive advocate for inquiry. Okay. Um, and she has, if you ever get the chance to go see her and to go. Get an experience with her and how she, does, how she talks about inquiry, by all means, please do it. Um, she's an amazing woman. But there was a, something she posted back in 2014, February 2014, where she talks about what she observed inquiry teachers doing and using more. Because it kind of gives you an idea of what inquiry is. Okay. She said they talk less um, because they're not dictating to the classroom. They're not the head of the classroom. They're circulating around. Uh, they ask more questions, so there's more discourse. And because there's more discourse with the, with the teacher, the students have more discourse. They're paying attention to you and modeling. <laughs> so the third one that she noticed is that they relate to students easier. And I'm going to quote her on this one. The best inquiry teachers I see genuinely enjoy their students and know them. Knowing your students is the key to successful facilitation, particularly of personal inquiries. And that's key to it. And I don't want to delve into this. You could read more about this on our site, too. The fourth one she advocates is that the good inquiry teachers let kids in on the secret. It's a transparent teaching. It's There's not, a
0: secret? Man.
1: But, I mean, we've pushed more that more in education in general, right? Mm. We've kind of let kids know what the outcomes are that we're teaching on a uh, given Oh, so
0: it's, it's one of those they now understand why they're doing something mm. instead of just the I'm learning it because the teacher told me I'm learning it.
1: Right. And that's huge. Um They use language that's that's more invitational, that's gray, kind of a grayer, more elastic one. Mm -hmm. There's mites, there's coulds, there's possibilities, there's wonders, as opposed to there's musts, ises, wills, and I's. They check in with the students a lot because the classroom is more free-flowing. They collaborate with the students a lot more because they trust them. They use authentic resources, um, and this, uh, this can be ranging from a few things in the classroom to taking them to a place and saying, here's what you need to find out about. They've also acknowledged that there's a lot of passion and energy in inquiry teachers. And we're not saying that doesn't exist in non-inquiry teachers or in different styles of teaching. All we're saying is that the best inquiry teachers are often calm, collected, energetic, and passionate about what they do.
0: And they're probably passionate and energetic because they're actually enjoying what they're doing.
1: Right. And i got to tell you, I rather enjoy inquiry teaching and have enjoyed teaching through inquiry a bit more than the talking head in front of the class. Um, there's a more of a bigger picture view with them, uh, with inquiry teacher. They arise from their students. They may they may not be questions they expected, may not necessarily happen. But you kind of go with the flow and let the students kind of give you guideposts about how for how you can scaffold their learning. So there so often is a fair bit of flexibility there.
0: So in that one, it's kind of one of those things where you might see a student going down a certain path that could. Lead them to a wrong conclusion, and you can try to build another path to bring them back to where they need to be.
1: No, I mean not necessarily back, but get this, set them on a path that will get them to it. Okay. You might necessarily need. Sometimes you may need to bring them back, but sometimes you may just bring them kind of. They just clear, take a circuitous route. Or clear, or clear another path. Okay. Kind of bring them on a diagonal into it. And the last one is, she says, is traditional pedagogy sees the teacher provide a set of instructions, making sure everyone knows what to do. Inquiry pedagogy gets kids doing, thinking, and investigating, and the explicit teaching happens in response to what the teacher sees and hears.
0: Mm. What I've taken away from what you've just said is there's a lot of questioning and there's a lot of thinking. Yeah. So I'm going to say recommend that if you're wanting to go down that inquiry road, that first you might want to look into a few things um by Jay mcteague and ron richard ron richard
1: he was in yeah i met the man i uh, went to um the project zero last year in boston and it's absolutely an amazing course a bit pricey but if you want to do it it's well worth your time uh, making thinking visible uh from him is a fantastic one uh really take a good read into it um yeah he's a phenomenal man phenomenal thoughts um there's a lot of other resources we'll provide on the, uh, on the collections for you, a lot of other infographics, and give it a shot. A bit more than just asking your kids a couple of questions here and there. Try to create a guided inquiry task.
0: Although, asking questions is a good first step.
1: It is, absolutely.
0: All right. Well, that's all we got for you today. Enjoy your day. Absolutely. Bye.